Well, maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play! Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. They want me to do WrestleMania in Houston, you know. And, uh, Are you going to do it? Well, I'll tell you, Chris Jericho, he better he better get in shape because I'm, I'm coming after his. I love it. Yeah. You going to beat Chris Jericho? I am going to toss him all around the ring like toss salad, baby. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And on this week's episode, we are talking about both. It's a movie about wrestling that has wrestlers in it, and it is called The Wrestler. <laughs> it's very redundant. <laughs> and as always, we there may be some spoilers in here, so if you haven't seen the movie, go ahead and watch it first. Yes. This is not the only movie called The Wrestler. This is the 2008 film that most people think of, but you and I have also seen a 1974 film called The Wrestler that we'll have to talk about someday. Oh, right. Yeah, you know what? I completely forgotten about that movie. A very... not, for it, not for it you know, being bad or anything. I just hadn't made the connection that they both had the same name. It's an interesting film. Just to throw off, off, the, off the bat, you've got Ed Asner, you've got Vincent K. McMahon, in a screen, in a scene, uh, I think with Vern Gagne and a couple other major promoters, all in one scene together, and Ed Asner has no shirt on. And let me throw this out to you: the name of the director was uh, James Weston. The name of the writer, Eugene Gump. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but that is not the people who wrote and directed this film. Why don't you tell me about who wrote and directed the 2008 The Wrestler? Yeah, this was directed by Darren Aronofsky, who also did Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain with Hugh Jackman, who uh, has a WWE connection, and also Black Swan. It was written by Robert D. Siegel, who was the former editor-in-chief of The Onion, which is kind of interesting. And he also wrote Big Fan and co-wrote this summer's animated feature, Turbo. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, what is the – it's interesting also, every single movie you mentioned I have never seen, and it's it's uh, very odd to me. Um, I've never even seen Pi, which I've heard so many great things about. But what is the uh, what is the wrestling connection in The Fountain? Well, no, it's Hugh Jackman who – Oh, I see. I yeah. see. And Hugh Jackman, of course, was on Monday Night Raw. Very yeah. cool. I, j I just didn't know if you'd be like, and Kevin Nash plays <laughs> Super Fountain in that movie, <laughs> which is very possible. Yeah. This came out in December of 2008, then went wide in January of 2009. Did we see this together in the theater? Yes, we saw it at, uh, we drove down to Voorhees, New Jersey, to whatever mm -hmm. the artsy theater they had down there. So I assume we saw it when it was in its uh, limited release, yeah. if we drove all the way to, to Voorhees. But I remember um, the crowd that we saw it with was kind of, you know... Uh, you know, a shirt and a jacket kind of audience. Yes. Uh, so there were a couple scenes during this movie where they got a bit uncomfortable. I remember very well that one of the earliest scenes in the film, he's uh, he's getting a blade ready for, for mm -hmm. his match. And the people behind us are all, you know, whispering to each other. And f I was sitting there thinking, well, he's getting a blade ready for his match. That seemed so obvious to me. But I hear in the back, 
is he going to kill himself? <laughs> because this sequence, which seemed so normal to you and I, yeah. uh, is something that I guess a lot of people wouldn't imagine happens. So very interesting. Uh, let's talk about this cast. Mickey Rourke, of course. You have uh, Marissa Tomei, who really came out once again. I mean, this woman blew everybody away with My Cousin Vinny and then kind of sort of like floated like behind Sandra Bullock somewhere mm-hmm. for a very long time is like the the second rate version of her and then but bam with this movie she you know knocked knocked the doors off oh yeah yeah evan rachel wood do you know her from anything else i know her from dating marilyn manson several years ago and that's (laughs) about it (laughs) very good um and also in this film you've got uh, uh judah freelander who yes. I just find so odd. He's a guy who's appeared on on Monday Night Raw and other WWE programming in, in various different uh, oddball uh, moments. But odd that he showed up in this film. Yeah, and it it wasn't until I think this viewing for the for this episode that I actually took note of of who he was because he doesn't look like himself. He now now who was he? Tell us. He, he was the guy at the Legion, the the hall. What do they call those places? Yeah, so this was like when they're Legion doing hall, the signing there. When they're doing right? the signing. He's the one that comes up to him and says, um, you know, Randy, it's so great you're here. And he says, I thought, you know, uh, I can't wait to go down to the Wrestle Reunion or whatever where you're going to fight the Ayatollah. So now, he doesn't have it, his glasses on. He doesn't have the hat on. But he's wearing like a hockey jersey. Yes. And isn't he also the same promoter at the beginning that gives him the money, but you only see his back. And he's like, sorry, the house wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so, even make that connection. So, yeah, but uh, my point about that is they were not trying to showcase the fact that this is a somewhat well-known comic actor. They were downplaying it so that you would watch the movie and, and not be taken out of the scene. Uh, I remember when when you and I saw Saving Private Ryan, which is a brilliant film. There is a scene in there where Ted Danson shows up, and all of a sudden, the two of us are just like, oh, my God, what yes. the hell is going on? Sam Malone is sitting there walking next. I mean, it just it takes you out of the movie, so yeah. I, I can understand why they did that. Throw us a plot summary, Craig. All right. So a faded professional wrestler must retire but finds his quest for a new life outside the ring a dispiriting struggle. Right. Very good. So uh, very exciting opening sequence. Uh, This shows us the history of Randy the Ram through those old wrestling magazines. You actually see like wrestling's main event magazine and pro wrestling illustrated magazine altered to have Randy the Ram on them. Yeah, this was a great opening sequence. And I think it's the first indication that you're going to get a movie that sort of um, at least understands professional wrestling if nothing else yeah and one thing that's interesting about it is this is also a very inexpensive way to tell the backstory on this film you know they don't have to go try to set and light a gigantic arena full Mm -hmm. of fans to look like you know it's the heyday they can start right out with the times where you're looking at an 800 800 uh, people in a crowd being like one of the biggest shots in this film Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things I liked was reading some of these uh, some of these things that were on the cover. One of them said the Ram goes for the gold. Randy the Ram Robinson is climbing his way to the top. Will his stay there last or is someone going to try to take him down? Mm-hmm. But below that, why the Rock and Roll Express is its own worst enemy, a tag team without trust. Yeah, and I think that's probably a question that can still be asked in 2013. <laughs> there are a, a handful of matches that you see that he's taken place. Uh, him fighting the Black Hat is showcased <laughs> yes, but, on one of these. 
with the Undertaker style sort of hat. That's right. Um, the Lum- Lumberjack Jones is taking on the Big Blue on that same card, by the way. Randy the Ram took on Ambush at one point in his career. And then we start getting to some of these that look bigger. Randy the Ram versus the Funk Master, Gary Slick, you know, with the, with the black hat now on the undercard against the whale. And <laughs> yes. Todd Bruski was on one of these, I believe, as well as you start seeing like, um, uh, things that indicate that maybe this was WWE because you see Saturday night's main event with heavyweight champion Randy the Ram Robinson mm-hmm. against the Intercontinental Champion. And so you say, whoa, whoa, you know, that, that sounds to me like we're talking about WWE. And they even have one of these that says Madison Square Garden on it. Yeah, what that was the one that was what April like a week yes. before WrestleMania that year. Yes, indeed, <laughs> April sixth, Saturday yeah. night, April sixth yeah. on pay per view from Madison Square Garden. It's every Ram for himself as Randy the Ram battles the Ayatollah. This must have been the big one that they talk about within the confines of the movie. You know, I mean, it's very cool. Some of the way that they cover these things, you know, saying stuff like the battle jam and stuff, it really works for me. It, it sounds authentic, even if it isn't, you know, and I, oh, yeah. I really, I really like this. Uh, oh, so did I. We then cut to him in this dressing room and it's just, it's sad. You know, mm-hmm. we see like children's toys around because clearly they're not in an arena dressing yeah. room. This is, you know, some daycare center or something mm-hmm. room that they made a makeshift dressing room out of. And and then he goes home to his trailer and there's a lock on his trailer. He's got no money. He's got to sleep in his van. And we see his action figure on the dash as he's popping pills, drinking beer and and going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It really sets the. uh the tone of the movie in terms of, you know, just kind of being uh, a little bit melancholy. Kids pound on the van and, and he comes out and he starts fighting with them. And for a brief moment, you think, oh, my God, he's going to kill all these kids. And then you realize, you know, he's hitting them with fake blows and they're 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 selling. They're selling. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great to see him, you know, just waking up, but also getting into character, knowing yes. it was time to put on a show. Yeah, and and it, it does kind of give you this this wonderful glimmer of of happiness where it's like you know what the kids in the neighborhood think he's cool and mm-hmm. that's that is something. So then he goes to his job. He's working at the Acme. He's doing some work on the side. His boss doesn't like him. He clearly mocks the fact that he's a pro wrestler. And yeah, he, what he, I like about this is he doesn't fight back. And this to me is something I've noticed with a lot of pro wrestlers. They get this real thick skin where they know they can't even argue with people because they're giants. Mm -hmm. So they have to be super nice and passive because, you know, people all the time probably bully them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, We go to see this, this first full match we're going to see. And this uh, is a point where I want to mention a couple of years before this happened, you and I started going to see national wrestling superstars throughout the state of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. This was a small little promotion uh, still around, although for what I'm guessing is some kind of shady tax reasons, (laughs) they have changed their name to the Funkified Wrestling Federation. Yeah. But we we started going to these shows, and we saw shows very similar to what they have in the movie. As a matter of fact, we were at a show where they were like, last week we filmed sequences for a new movie starring Mickey Rourke. So we we just missed a lot of these. But we were in several of the arenas that they filmed this in, 
And a lot of this is really authentic. You would see a star, like you'd go in and Kamala would be there mm-hmm. and Paul Bearer would be there. And then it'd be a bunch of, you know, lesser guys, you know, including guys that looked like this guy in the ring, you know, that maybe were working their way up, but, you know, didn't have the body yet. But, you know, maybe, you know, one day might be something and, and maybe not, you know, but yeah. these were part timers that were wrestling against big guys, which really is an odd thing that you only see on the indie circuit of pro wrestling. There is no place where you can go watch Roger Clemens pitch to, you know, a guy that didn't make it out of high school baseball. Yeah, this was one of these were the events where if you were, you know, milling through the crowd prior to the event starting, you might not be able to pick out who the wrestlers were going to be if they were in their street clothes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas if it was a WWE event, you know, just look for the guy that's three heads taller than the rest of the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we hear stuff like that. The funky Samoans are on the card. I wanted more about the funky Samoans. Yeah. And we also get a shout out, a shout out to uh, Rob Echoes, who we actually saw at one of those NWS shows. Oh, sure. And went on to TNA as uh, he did the Jersey Shore gimmick uh, as Robbie E. I bet he's better known as Rob Echoes from the movie The Wrestler. I would hope so. (laughs) Uh, There's that funny conversation about don't work the leg, work the neck. Oh, you're working the neck. You're working the leg. There's a lot of that, which is kind of funny to see the behind the scenes. You see that scene I mentioned where he's getting the blade ready. And and that scene was was something that I enjoyed watching it with a crowd because truly that scene was not interesting to me. There was nothing mm-hmm. about that that seemed out of the ordinary. I knew yeah. that that's how they did it. I knew exactly what it looked like. I knew where they hit it. There was nothing about that that was inauthentic, and that's why I think that scene plays better to somebody that doesn't watch wrestling to the degree that you and I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the scene before that where he's talking with the youngster and setting up the match and saying how it's going to go and then prepping the blade, yeah. it's almost like they're pulling back the curtain Um yeah. But for certain people, the curtain's always been open. And and I will say this. I believe since the since this movie came out in 2008 to today, I think the curtain's been pulled back a lot more. Yeah. And I think that at that time, this felt novel to see someone showing us this side of wrestling on TV and or in a movie, you know, oh, but definitely. on screen. And since then, on TV, on YouTube, on other things, we've seen a lot more of this. Oh, yeah. I think uh, a a couple of months ago, Bully Ray Mm -hmm. did a whole interview where he he talked on uh, through a whole storyline they had just done on TV. Um, And he did it, you know, uh, breaking character, which was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a different era. Mm hmm. The promoter wants a rematch from a match from the previous era, the big 80s, you know, rivalry of the Ayatollah against Randy the Ram, which I guess is kind of Hogan the Iron Sheik. Yeah, yeah, and they're coming up on their 20th anniversary of their epic match. Now, we get Cheeks, the nightclub, C-H-E-E-Q-U-E-S. Yes. And I want to mention here, I went around after seeing this movie, I went to see a lot of the locations. And one of the locations I went to was this this uh, this nightclub, which is a strip joint, just like in the movie, although it's very different on the inside. On the inside, it's kind of just a, uh, uh, almost like Cheers. You got like the big giant bar. And, okay. And everybody sits around it. Uh, it's so uh, they, clearly they filmed somewhere else where they could have these little private rooms off to the side and everything. Mm-hmm. But the the pink silhouette of the butt on the door was still there, and I assume <laughs> it's still there. Uh, the Behind there, there is a scene later where we see him in the parking lot in the car with her, 
Then there's other sequences where he's by what looks like an overpass. There's these big round, almost like a bridge in the background, two of these, and a phone. And that was also right behind this uh, nightclub. It's not played in the movie that way. It just was a convenient location, I guess. And the payphone wasn't there. It was yeah. the payphone was a prop. So even in 2008, the payphone, it, the payphone's one of those things that movies want to keep alive because it helps their storytelling. Yeah. But it's something in real life that is drying up. You don't see very many of them. And so there was not a, uh, you know, if you walk back behind this uh, strip joint, there's not uh, there's not a payphone. You might get a bouncer, though, asking you for some drugs, just like <laughs> happens to Randy the Ram. Yeah, and there was something here I, I I wanted to ask about, and I didn't I didn't research it, but the it seemed like they had nudity going on in this club, at least uh, topless. Yes, but they were also serving alcohol. Yes, in in New, in Jersey. New Jersey, which is illegal, and okay. it's sad that both of us know that. But yes, <laughs> the rule in New Jersey is you can bring your own liquor if, if the women are topless and not mm-hmm. bottomless. If they're topless and bottomless, th- there can be no liquor at all. If they're wearing bikinis, you can have all the liquor you want. Yeah. So um, so this club clearly is playing by, by different rules than the, the rules set forth by the state of New Jersey. Yes. Okay. I guess it could be implied that he's crossing a bridge someplace to go to this place, though. You know, we yeah. don't. We don't know that technically he's still in New Jersey. He does. <laughs> yes. He spends a lot of time in the van. Uh, we get a nice scene here where he picks a fight with the punks that are uh, they're dissing Marissa Tomei, which I can't imagine happening. By the way, I know I've they're... been the age of these punks. There's no way you would turn down Marissa Tomei. Yeah, yeah, they were being disrespectful. Very disrespectful, yeah. and she looks fantastic in yeah. this. Yeah. At the very least, you'd snicker about it later with your friends. At the very most. There's mm-hmm. no way you'd you'd be that rude to her. Yeah, Probably. but it, it's funny because after sort of uh, you know uh, Ram chases them away, she you know she says you just cost me two hundred bucks, and I got to say the way they were talking, it doesn't look like those guys were going <laughs> to part with their money. <laughs> now uh, we get to see Marissa Tomei naked, which I guess was a very big deal. I don't know if she had uh, been naked before, but certainly this was a very high profile naked Marissa Tomei. Yeah, I think it was the first time I had seen her nude. And also, uh, do you think um, she had uh, pierced uh, nipples, right? I I didn't notice. Uh, okay. okay. I wasn't sure if she did. I mean, I didn't pause her I would assume they're fake, right? That's what I – yeah, I was wondering. Uh, and yeah. then imagine having the job where you're the guy that puts the, the fake uh, piercings on, uh, on Marissa I'm, Tomei's. I'm betting it's a woman. It's probably <laughs> yeah. a makeup lady that puts them on. Yeah. It's probably a professional. Um, you know, we see him showing his scars, which I thought she was going to start showing scars and we were going to get a little Jaws sequence. That's what I thought immediately. Instead, she quotes Passion of the Christ and, and we, we get to see him, uh, then go from there to buying drugs and we get to see his butt. Yeah. We see how he trains. He does a lot of weightlifting. He dyes his hair at the salon. He does some tanning and then he buys plunder at the dollar store. Yeah. And the one thing about the tanning that really worried me is when he went to the tanning booth, he laid down and he had a whole stretch of hair that huh. came over and laid down like across his chest. Yeah. Well, so maybe, he tanned uneven. Yeah. But you got to think he tanned so often that it, it, yeah, it doesn't with, matter. You know, yeah. The hair yeah. hair falls another way later. Mm hmm. Um, we get uh, we get this hardcore match with the Necro Butcher. Uh, fantastic match. And it's told in a very interesting way. I, I do want to say um, 
that this match, we found the information on when this happened. Yeah. It was, uh, it took place February 9th, 2008. It was a regular CZW show at the old ECW arena. Oh, which we've talked about a handful of times on this yes. show. So, uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was a, a regular card and they, they, you know, they incorporated this into it and they filmed the scenes much like a movie is filmed, which really didn't sit well with a crowd that thought they were just going to see a match go by and move on. Yeah, especially a CCW crowd because um, CZW stands for Combat Zone Wrestling. These guys so are the, amped up. You're, you're yeah. drunk by the time you get to the CZW show, I would hope. <laughs> yes, they make, uh, I guess, the the extreme, uh, the ECW fans look uh, look tame in comparison. You see, uh, you see this, this is told through flashbacks. So mm-hmm. we see the uh, beginning where he's like, so do you like staples? And then they cut to the end of the match and they're both all beat up and then they keep cutting back. Yeah. Um, and I like this. During this time, we see the blue meanies in the locker room, which was awesome. Yeah. We, uh, we see, you know, the guy's prosthetic leg get, get used. You know, yeah. we see all kinds of, uh, crazy bumps, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, shocking to somebody that doesn't watch wrestling that this stuff is real, that a doctor really has to be backstage and remove glass from your back. Yeah, yeah. It was really, uh, really a well done sequence. Uh, kind of shows what, you know, a filmmaker like Darren Aronofsky brings to it as opposed to, you know, yeah. just your average everyday, you know, guy that, you would you would think would direct a wrestler. He was a very strange choice, but then you see a sequence like this and understand what he what he was going for. You also see that he's having problems afterwards. He mm-hmm. throws up. He grabs his arm. He passes out, and he goes to the hospital. He has this uh, heart bypass done. Yeah, this is one thing that felt different to me now than it did then. The doctor comes in and he's, you know, the doctor says, uh, you know, you got to stop, you know, putting strain on your heart. And he says, I'm a professional wrestler. The doctor says, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing. Since then, we've seen Jerry Lawler have a heart attack on Monday Night Raw after wrestling and go back to wrestling. Yeah. And I've heard many physicians say that, you know, it is it is like any other um, athletic trained event that mm-hmm. you could theoretically. There's no reason that Randy would have to stop. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know his prognosis yeah. versus Lawler's. But Lawler, being a guy that wasn't taking a bunch of pills and drinking, yeah. they told him, "Yeah, you can go back and wrestle again. That's not a that's that's not an undue strain on your heart." Yeah, I. Uh, I find I find it interesting that the doc's, you know, less concerned with the cocaine in his system and <laughs> yes. more concerned with the fact that he's participating in a strenuous but a, uh, a you know, a choreographed sporting event that mm-hmm. certainly he could start doing tag teams. We have seen some of these guys on this independent circuit that don't take any bumps whatsoever. I refuse to believe that he would have to take bumps. Now, we learn later that he's not the kind of guy that wants to do that. But I yeah. just think that's something that is in this movie that doesn't feel uh, authentic to me. Oh, sure. I mean, if... If Bret Hart can work a match at WrestleMania, (laughs) anybody can. So uh, he throws his tights away because they've been cut open rather than putting them on eBay. I believe this is something you pointed out to me during the first viewing we had of this, of the film. The first time we saw this in theaters. uh, And and we're not the type to usually talk during a movie, but I think we're like... You should have put those on eBay. <laughs> oh, totally. like, You're absolutely right. That's a huge plot hole. 
Uh, so, uh, so he leaves the Robert Wood Johnson Medical Center uh, in, in New Jersey, mm-hmm. goes back to his trailer. They, they finally remove the lock from his trailer because he finally had the money, you know, to get it taken off. Uh, we see he's got chest staples, you know, and, and, and we also see that he's got a, a, a nudie picture, picture on the wall under his towel. He, uh, he, he sees his NES. And he yes. wants to play some of the Wrestle Jam game, so he calls in uh, one of the kids, and the kids comes comes in, and you know they play some NES. This again, two thousand eight NES. You know, may have felt to a lot of people in the audience that oh, that's old. Look, he's got that old thing, and now it looks like much more of a collector's item, and that'll yeah. only only you know compound over the years that it'll be like wow, he had an NES, and of course there will come a time twenty years from now that you won't know that that's not a brand new game that he has until the kid says, "Do you play Call of Duty Four? <laughs> yes, and the Wrestle Jam game was an actual game that was created for the movie and it was built to emulate um you could really play it yeah oh very cool it does have the pac-man sound effects yeah <laughs> uh, but yes that is very cool yeah it certainly looked like uh very much like you know the wcw uh nes game that was out around that time so uh so that is very cool yeah and it is him and ayatollah yeah in the game uh, he's jogging. He's got chest pains. Mm-hmm. He goes, says, I want to talk to you, Marissa Tomei. She goes outside to talk to him and she's like, go see your daughter. And so he goes through a box at home, finds a picture of his daughter with the phone numbers on it only after finding a bunch of postcards <laughs> and a picture of off of the wild Samoa. <laughs> I just like that. That's in his box. Yeah. Hey. Uh, he goes to a payphone, which, which is the one I talked about. Definitely mm-hmm. was a prop that they, you know, they stood up there, mm-hmm. uh, he goes to his daughter's house, and uh, his daughter's not happy to see him. Yeah, and he asks this question, uh, or, or, or or mentions this later when he's shopping with Marissa Tomei, but they never really clearly define what is going on at his daughter's house. Is that a roommate? Is it a girlfriend? I think it's it's just one of those things. He's not close enough to her to know, you know. Yeah, I think and, I think that was probably the intention. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know if that's that's just a roommate. My assumption going into that would be that that's her roommate. Yeah. But uh who the heck knows? You you have no yeah. idea. Um and I think that's kind of the point, I guess, mm-hmm. is that you know, we're we're seeing it from his perspective and he doesn't know. Uh, you know, do I need to buy her special clothes? And Marissa <laughs> Tomei is like, no. And he's like, okay. Yeah. He goes to an autograph show, and uh, we see uh, a bunch of you know a bunch of other old wrestlers you know that are there signing autographs in the film. Uh, Johnny V's in this scene, which I yes. thought was very cool. We also you know we see uh, I think it was Johnny V that has uh, a bag of uh, urine by his mm-hmm. foot, which means you know, yeah. he has some kind of medical issues, possibly you know wrestling related from getting some hits to the kidneys uh, that he's wearing yeah. this bag. And 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 I think Mickey uh, his character is looking around, going, I don't want to be you know washed. Yeah up old bum maybe i don't want to be the guy that just does the autograph shows yeah and although so, his table looked awesome it did he had the the polaroid a camera yes. but, he, but he also had like the big vhs tape yeah it almost looked like the size of a paperback book yes it was like the best of ram you know uh, of ram uh, sure this looked like great like looking a, table 
This looked like a, a Disney uh, VHS cassette, yeah, the big uh-huh. oversized box. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, but I, I think that's what we're supposed to feel. And that's why mm-hmm. when the guy, you know, was pitching him on the match earlier and, and, you know, he sort of half agrees to it. That's why he's kind of thinking, maybe this is what I should do. You know, maybe I mm-hmm. should go back. Uh, yeah. So uh, we see him shopping with Marissa Tomei. He, he really likes that funny, you know, the funny looking uh, green jacket. <laughs> It looks like a jacket a wrestler would have come to the ring yeah. with in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that it totally works for me that Shawn Michaels probably had that jacket, and that's why it has the letter S on it. Yes. Um, we see his boss at the Acme looking at smut on his computer, and he's like, go out and knock on the door. Yeah, and then and then the, the boss pretty much no-sells um, everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I went to this store. Uh, this is another location that I wanted to check out when I was looking at locations from the films. And I, I saw the owner and she was very nice. She hadn't seen the film yet. She said that he was, uh, very nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had a Marissa Tomei autograph. And I said, oh, she gave you an autograph. He, he, she said she was not very nice. Oh. Um, and apparently they had to ask somebody to get her get the autograph from her. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, she was very concerned. She's like, did the store look junky? And I'm like, no. She's like, it didn't look junky. She kept asking. It was, <laughs> she really wanted to know that it didn't look junky. So, uh, it, But it was very cool. It was going there. I also went to the Acme and I took a number from their taken number <laughs> machine. I really wanted to take the whole machine and i I was very tempted to just reach up and grab it i was like what what will they do they probably won't do anything (laughs) now was that acme in elizabeth as well um i don't know you we talked about this because i don't remember these are locations uh far from me but you went to a restaurant that was next door okay so that was up in bayonne yeah okay okay yeah so um, So I've i've been out i've been to the dollar store Next to that Acme, I've never been in the Acme. Okay, yeah, yeah. it uh, it's closed, so you can't oh. go anymore. It, uh, oh wow, yeah, it, it has since closed down, but it, uh, it was one of the one of the last big Acmes out there. Yeah, uh, the uh, the crazy green jacket is awesome. He gives Marissa Tomei his action figure, which comes up later because she says she has a kid. They go to a bar, they talk about how the the nineties suck, and then he kisses her, and then she freaks out, downs a beer, and takes off. Yeah. Yeah, he says, uh, you, you promised me one beer, and she says, I did. And, yeah, look, you know, she did it in one take, too. <laughs> we or at least it was a continuous take. Yeah, <laughs> it may have been the third beer she had yeah. that day. <laughs> um, we see him at work. He's got a hairnet on, uh, and he's walking down the hallways. And I like this. They they dub in the sounds oh. of him going down the hall to the ring. Yeah, uh, I love they, this sequence. I love what they did. Yeah. And then when he pops out, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. He's just a guy working behind the counter. And I find it odd that he wanted his wrestling name on his name tag. He Instead of Robin, want, yeah. Yeah, he didn't want the anonymity of just having mm-hmm. his real name. He wanted yeah. Randy on there, which you think, especially when that guy's like, I no use. You think <laughs> that that would, that would be better if he didn't have it. There's a lot of fun on this uh, oh, yeah. sequence. You know, him saying, uh, you know, the woman wants two big chicken breasts. And he's like, you want two big breasts? You know, I, I do too, you know. And, and a brain. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she, the other guy says, is it fresh? She's like, it's fresh as monkey's breath, brother. <laughs> um, so it's very cool. He calls up all the upcoming shows, says, I'm not, you know, I'm not in. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing them. And, and I think the reason is because he was good behind the counter. 
You know, he found that this was a skill he had. He was having fun back there. People were having fun talking to him. Uh, It kind of sold you, at least for the moment, that, you know, there is life after wrestling Mm -hmm. and that in life, sometimes jobs that we look down upon, they're not that bad. You're standing behind a counter. You're chatting to people. You're you're helping them get what they want and making sure Mm -hmm. they leave happy. Sometimes that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. So he goes to see his daughter. He gives her a present, and it's the one Jack, and she's like, oh, okay. And he's like, ah, I'm kidding. Here's the peacoat that Marissa Tomei said, which I looked up, by the way, a peacoat. Mm-hmm. That just means it's a jacket that goes slightly below your waist. Oh, okay. Oh, fancy peacoat. <laughs> but she really likes that jacket. Yeah, she's like, whoa, a peacoat? Yeah. Good yeah, God. She, she finally lets her guard down a little bit, too. So they go to the, the boardwalk. He tells her he's just a broken down piece of meat. So they start dancing and everything is good. Mm-hmm. He goes to see Marissa Tomei. He gives her a card that, you know, that says, like, uh, thanks a bunch. Uh, yeah. Go bananas. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and he wants to date her, but she's not going to date him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she, she really sort of. <sighs> she. she her reaction was very weird because it seemed like maybe she was angry at herself for letting him get as close as he did. Sure. But at the same time, angry at herself. Um, it, you really kind of feel bad for him when he gets kicked out of the club. Yeah. Yeah. No, you do. I mean, you absolutely do. Uh, I think it was well played and well written from both perspectives. I think it kind of parallels the similarities between the jobs that they both did. Mm hmm. They were both people that were used for their bodies and they could only do it so long. And here she was an aging stripper that these guys are mocking and he's an aging wrestler, both of whom don't have much of a future in the industry that they chose, you know, that their bodies are not what they should be, although hers looks pretty good. Uh, But their bodies, you know, aren't aren't doing exactly what everybody wants them to do anymore. Yeah. And And they both play characters as well. In the yeah exactly her mm-hmm. character that she's playing there is, is you know for example with those with those snotty punks she's all nice to him she's like yeah. no it's okay sweetheart mm-hmm. so like anybody does when they get a little down they have a fight with a woman yeah. you go watch some our truth. Oh, yeah. I I can't think of anything better. Ron Killings uh, wrestling in a show from Jersey All Pro Wrestling. It was Wild Card 4 in Rahway, New Jersey, February 16th, 2008. We have been in this arena. This is Mm -hmm. one of the bigger ones. So we saw an evolved show headlined by Daniel Bryan there. Uh, It was pretty cool to see it in this movie, right, Greg? (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of those things, as soon as you see him walking in, uh, it's such a distinctive looking yeah. place that it, it immediately jumped out as, hey, you know, I've been there. Yeah, it's it's very funny. I mean, we met Jimmy Hart there. I've seen uh, they, they did at like a convention there as well as, a, a you know, a bunch of wrestling sh- matches. So a really like fun place event, to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, so very interesting. Uh, this is the uh, the press release that they put out. It says uh, JAPW is 
proud to announce that at Wildcard 4, a special match featuring former TNA and WWE superstar Ron The Truth Killings will be filmed for the upcoming major motion picture, The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke. Mr. Rourke will be filmed in the crowd during this match, and this is your chance to get on camera doing what JAPW fans do best, cheering on some of the greatest stars in professional wrestling. Help us make JAPW stand out in this film, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to appear in a movie. So very exciting. Yeah. Ron Killings uh, fighting Romeo Roselli for a brief second in this film and then talking backstage uh, to Mickey Rourke's character. And then he goes to the fireman party. Yeah, well, well, R-Truth invites him out for a drink. Yeah, but we don't see R-Truth at the bar. We do see what probably is other wrestlers in the background, Mm -hmm. but he's too busy talking to this girl who wants to party like a fireman party. Yeah. So he does a lot of cocaine, goes to this girl's weird house. She's got yeah. lots of fireman stuff. He wakes up with fireman boots on, and there's a ferret in a cage, so he sneaks out. Mm-hmm. He we gets find... home and he crashes. Yeah, and, and he oversleeps, misses the dinner with his daughter. Yeah. And so uh, things aren't working well with her, and it, it's you know it's it's probably a wrap. You know, he's, he's failed her for the last time. Yeah, yeah, and she, and she lets him know that. So uh, he's he's back at the counter and he's not as happy. This woman doesn't want as much German potato <laughs> salad, so he starts eating it. Yes, a little less, a little more. <laughs> and that's the aspect of the job that I think nobody would be able to deal with. And then the guy looks at him and is like, you used to be a wrestler. So he mm-hmm. cuts his finger and just goes ballistic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the way his boss reacts, too, is his boss reacts like he almost thinks he or knows that he did it on purpose. Yeah. You know, he's like, Ram, you're Randy, you're bleeding over everybody. It's like I'll the guy just put it. his finger in a slicer. On purpose, though. Yes. And then he then but, to sell it, he rubbed it on his face. Oh. He does yeah, I'll well. tell you, the, the whole um that whole cereal aisle does the job for him. Yeah, yes, indeed. So he dyes his hair, shaves his pits, gets a fake tan, and he's ready to go. We cut to Marissa Tomei, we see her son, she he's he's playing with the figure. This means she mm-hmm. gave it to him and yeah. he likes it. He's making it beat up like, you know, his G.I. Joe's or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So she apologizes to him and he's like, Hey, I gotta go to Wilmington. I'm fighting in that Ayatollah match, and she's like, You're not supposed to fight, and he takes off for Wilmington. Yeah, yeah. He finally sort of, I guess, is is conti- you know, really focused on what his what his goal in life is. So here he is in Wilmington for the Ayatollah match. We see Ayatollah talking to Nigel McGinnis, uh, yes. Desmond Wolf, and it's it's you you only definitely know it's him because they even say he's like, hey, how are you, Nigel? And it's like, yeah. oh, that is Nigel McGinnis. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're talking. He's talking. You know, the, the Ayatollah is the other end of the spectrum, and I think this is kind of something a lot of people miss in this movie. You have Mickey Rourke's character who's just kind of floundering, this former star that is doing this all the time and trying to make ends meet. Then you have this other character, the Ayatollah, Ernie the Cat Miller. He's sitting there, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm opening all these car dealerships. I'm a huge success outside of this. I've gone on to do well. And this is only part of what I've done in my life. Yeah, he kind of went the, the route of a lot of, you know, 
you know, ex-baseball players, you know, that sure. go and open up a, a dealership or two. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's other people, uh, I know, like, you know, you, you never know how successful they are, but mm-hmm. you always hear Mike McGurk is a real estate agent. You know, I mean, yes. a lot of these people, uh, I know that, uh, Rick Steiner yes. is a real estate agent and he's on like the school board. I mean, he's, you yeah. know, he's a guy that seems to be a productive member of society in his town. So mm-hmm. there are guys, you know, that do that. And, uh, certainly there's guys like The Rock who do way more than that. Yeah. So, it is it is in there, and I think a lot of people miss the the subtext of that. Uh, why don't you tell me about Ernie the Cat Miller? Yeah, he was an interesting choice for the for the Ayatollah. First of all, because he's you know he's a, a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess which in I think is a great thing because in wrestling you often have people playing different nationalities mm-hmm. than they are. Yeah, yeah, and also the other interesting thing is he wasn't that high profile of a guy, which I guess is kind of what they were going for. He had in ring experience, but at the same time, he wasn't a, a you know a, a really like sort of a household name, so he could show up as the Ayatollah and people would buy it. He wrestled for WCW from ninety seven to two thousand one after a career as a karate tournament competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Bischoff brought him over. Um, he was teaching Eric Bischoff's son Garrett uh, karate. When Bischoff asked him to become a wrestler, he made his debut uh, when he saved Glacier <laughs> from a two-on-one attack by Wrath and Mortis at the WCW Slamboree '97 pay-per-view. All right. Um, uh, he was initially thought as uh, uh, that they, he was a fan, and then they realized it was no ordinary man, and he was in fact three-time karate champion Ernest Miller. Very nice. Um, after WCW folded, he went to WWF for two years, wrestling under the name The Cat, um, and he made his dark match. Um, on October 28th, 2002, he commentated for Velocity for a while Very before cool. moving over to SmackDown. Yeah. Um, but I think most people probably know him for his theme music, yes. which is now being used by another wrestler. Right, right, right. Somebody Brodus, call your mama. Yes, Brodus Clay, the Funkasaurus, is now using his, his, um, his, his music. And recently somebody asked, the Inside the Ropes radio uh, program asked – uh, the cat about this, and he said, um, I haven't watched it. I have nothing against him, Brodus. He's working for a company. I feel like someone told him to do it. He's trying to make it work. Many fans have said he's not as good as me, and it made me popular without being on the TV show. It's a little more than dancing. I was an athlete. I could wrestle. WWE had so many people afraid of their jobs. They never let me develop into what it could be. People like this guy out there dancing and saying, call my mama, but he's not the original. I could have made it work. So in other words, I'm a little pissed <laughs> off about it. <Okay>. So, <laughs> Wow. So he is, he's definitely not the Ayatollah. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. So Tomei takes off for Wilmington for the big match. She's going to tell him, hey, stick with me. And we see him getting dressed next to Antonio Cesaro. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, at the time, um, I, I wasn't really watching Ring of Honor. Sure, and, uh, yeah. you know, he looks different now uh, right. than he did in Ring of Honor. So it was kind of neat to see him. And he's just there. He's not doing yes. anything. He's no. you know, he's stretching or whatever in the background. Uh, yeah, this- had he not made it to WWE, yep. yeah. we wouldn't be mentioning him right now in this episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, there are a lot of wrestlers throughout this. And that's one of the fun things when you're watching this film is, you know, you're, oh, I've seen that guy before. Yeah. So uh, we got a press release here from Ring of Honor. Do you want to do you want to share this with everybody? Sure. Ring of Honor films the wrestler movie with Mickey Rourke in Dover, March 14th and 15th, 2008. Fans have exclusive chance to witness major ROH show and be a, 
in a feature film at the same time, all at slashed prices. Bristol, PA, Ring of Honor continues its an exonerable climb to the upper strata of in-ring sport combat with the some... announcement of two shows in Dover on <laughs> Friday, March 14th at 8 and Saturday, March 15th at 7.30 at the Baker Theater, 41 West Blackwell Street. Actor Mickey Rourke will be in the house both nights filming the climatic scene to his feature film, The Wrestler, as directed by Darren Aronofsky, Requiem for a Dream. First of all, they're, they're spoiling the end of the film. They should just say for a scene that may be in the middle of the movie. Yes. Uh, but also, I like inexplorable climb <laughs> yes. to the upper strata. They're college words there. Yeah, uh, and they're all, you know, they're, they're cutting a promo about The Wrestler. But they're sort of making it about themselves, too. Of course they are. Well, they're promoters. (laughs) (laughs) So Tomei arrives. I love this. She says, I'm here. And he's like, the only place I get hurt is out in that ring. And he goes out there. He tells the fans, this is, you know, the only person that's going to tell me to stop doing my thing is all of you out there. And I love this scene. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great promo. um, and, and And you believe it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's very moving, and it 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 to me sums up what I've heard a lot of these guys say, and it it sums it up so perfectly, it encapsulates so many guys why they continue to do this. Some of them don't need to anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And a guy like The Rock is a very good example. Yeah, he's a guy who doesn't need to be in the ring anymore. And there's some part of him that's drawn to come back in front of that big crowd and get that pop. Sure. Yeah, that's something you can't get on a Hollywood set. So uh, he he's in this match. Ayatollah's like, you know, we've done enough. <laughs> Take it home. Don't steal yeah. my move. And you know, it's kind of funny to hear the the uh, back and forth with the two of them. And then uh, and then we see Randy go off the top, and we get darkness. And yep. the implication is that he dies. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to think. He gets back up and he says, oh, I think I ought to retire. Let's <laughs> do the last 20 minutes of the movie over. And then he yeah. just goes home and, you know, gets a job at the next Acme in the town over. Yeah. And, and moves in with Marissa Tomei and her son. <laughs> Tell me about the song, The Wrestler. Yeah. The end credits um, song is The Wrestler by uh, Bruce Springsteen, who um, is a friends with Mickey Rourke. And basically, Rourke told Springsteen about his upcoming film and asked if Springsteen could write a song for it. Right. Um, Springsteen said, sure. He played it for Rourke and uh, the director before a concert, and they liked it. So he gave them the song for no fee, which is kind of neat. And it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Song Written for a Film, TV Series, or Other Visual Media. I love love Bruce Springsteen calling himself a one-trick phony. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you ever notice that my songs all sound kind of the same <laughs> so Nicolas Cage apparently was in negotiations to star as as Randy the Ram in this uh, but apparently he when he left the project Mickey Rourke came in but there was some controversy because mm-hmm. Aronofsky said that the that he always wanted Rourke and that he he didn't want uh, he didn't want Hulk Hogan <laughs> please explain this all to me yeah, so apparently um, when Cage found out that Aronofsky wanted um, Mickey Rourke as his first choice, he backed he, – he, he removed himself from the project, which I think says a lot about about his um, his character. So the studio um, was pushing for him. Yes, 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Aronofsky has stated that Cage was a complete gentleman and he understood that my heart was with Mickey and he stepped aside. I have so much respect for Nick Cage as an actor and I think it really could have worked with Nick. But, you know, Nick was incredibly supportive of Mickey. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, Hulk Hogan went on the Howard Stern show in 2012 and claimed that the role of Randy the Ram Robinson was offered to him. He claims he turned it down because he felt he wasn't the right man to portray the character. Um Aronofsky responded saying on his on his Twitter, uh, the role of the wrestler was always Rourke's. It was never Hulk Hogan's, as he claims on Howard Stern. Very so, <laughs> Hogan once again inserting himself into a piece of history that uh, he wasn't a part of. But you have to you have to admit that the character is in some ways based on him. The difference is Hogan has never had to do. The yeah. shows that they're showing in this. As a matter of fact, right now, if you go to Hogan's Beach Shop or whatever it is online, he's got his – because he's got a, a little store he opened yeah. in Clearwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, for $350, Hogan will send you a video on YouTube. So, I mean, this is a guy who is not struggling. I mean, you know, Hogan, for all his issues, his story might be more interesting than this one. Yeah. But it is not as uh, – it's not as destitute. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this in the past, and I think it's mm-hmm. very interesting to mention. Uh, this became a storyline in WWE. Yeah. They, uh, they, they did this whole thing where, you know, the old guys were fighting against Chris Jericho. It was, you know, uh, uh, Ric Flair was gonna be, was gonna be leading this team of Steamboat, Piper, and Schnooka. And they yeah. all came in and, and fought him. And then, and then, uh, Rourke came into the ring and knocked out Chris Jericho right there at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, very, very, very cool. Uh, and it's very cool when stuff like this gets connected. There was even a Larry King live appearance with Jericho and Rourke. So, so a yeah, whole I think lot that was the initial, uh, the initial moment they had that sort of set the whole thing in motion. Yeah. So uh, right around this time, right around the time that this came out, we had uh, the Royal Rumble from Detroit, Michigan, January twenty mm-hmm. fifth, two thousand nine. Who won the Royal Rumble that year? Randy Orton. Eliminating Triple H at the end uh, in a 58-minute, 37-second Royal Rumble match. Very exciting. I always like the Royal Rumble. That is not one of the most memorable ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just because Randy Orton and Triple H are guys that have done so much that mm-hmm. it's not like you can be like, ah, that's the one. The one yeah, where Randy yeah. Orton won something. You know, it's like I, he wins everything. Yeah, I remember a couple years ago we were watching a Rumble. It might be... Maybe two years ago, but mm-hmm. Santino was one of the last two guys in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Him yeah. and Alberto Del Rio. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't <laughs> I can't emphasize how exciting that was. And yeah. it was one of those things where you're like, well, Alberto's got to win. But then you're like, well, I don't know. What if Santino does? You know, it was. Yeah. Santino had kind of held, uh, you know, hid outside the ring and popped yeah. back in. And, you know, there was that moment where you thought he might be able to do it, which was yeah. fun, you know, because it's unexpected. And that's, you know, the rumble is usually a very clear cut. This guy's going to win it this year. Mm-hmm. So tell me about Raw from February of 2009. Yeah, it was in St. Louis. Um, you had uh, some interesting matches. The team of William Regal and Layla defeated CM Punk and Mickey James. Mm-hmm. Crime Time defeated Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes. Mike Knox and Kane defeated Rey Mysterio and Kofi Kingston. Ah. Beth Phoenix defeated Candice Michelle. And John Cena defeated Chris Jericho. Yes, very good. So Chris Jericho... Working right around the time of this, you know, and then yeah. having his his mm-hmm. his big storyline going on. Mm-hmm. And I actually think we've talked about the possibility of there being a wrestler too. 
Um, you had said you, you'd hoped he had gotten up and, you know, went right. home. But we also uh, imagined a, a scenario where he got a heart transplant a la King Kong. I like that. Uh, Very good. And, uh, you know, he had a super heart. Um, so he, he was able to wrestle again. I have come up with another cool sequel uh, possibility uh, that could even bleed over into current WWE storyline. You have basically our truth is responsible for Mickey Rourke getting back into the ring. He takes him out for that drink, which makes him miss his dinner with his daughter, which <laughs> causes the whole mess. Right. <laughs> so Mickey Rourke dies at the end of the match, but it's a work. He fakes his death. Right. So he, then he is all of a sudden backstage at WWE and who we think is little Jimmy is really the Ram taunting, um, our truth from off screen. I love it. And this. then it culminates with them having a whole feud. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Good Lord. I love this. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we uh, did ask on our Facebook group, which you can find. It's the ACPN on Facebook. And we asked, you know, for people with some comments. We got a few comments on this. Uh, Chad DeSantis said that even with the Dark Knight, Wally and Iron Man in this year, this was one of his favorites, which is interesting. This was a fully loaded year. Yeah, I didn't realize that until that comment came through. Iron Man also led to Iron Man 2, which starred Mickey Rourke, which is something that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this film. Oh, no, yeah. The the wrestler definitely sort of started the, uh, I guess, phase three, if you will, of Mickey Rourke's career. Reed Harris Cooper says, Necro Butcher is the thing he remembers, and the convention scene with Johnny V. Uh, he said that's the only thing he likes, and the only other good thing is nude Marissa Tomei. Um, so yeah, I, I think he wasn't, uh, I think he wasn't a fan of this one. Yeah. And he uh, said it had, she said there's a better nude Marissa Tomei scene. So we're yeah, going to have so to find out, out what there. that is. Yeah, we, yes. We should really dig it up. Yes. <laughs> and also, uh, Michelle Ellis said that, uh, that this was a film with a lot going on. So very exciting film mm -hmm. certainly generates a, a lot of buzz from people. I, I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, one of the more memorable professional wrestling movies out there. So yeah. I guess it's uh, important to ask, do you tap out to the wrestler? All right. I got to say that this is probably the um, the most serious movie that we've done. You know, I mean, it was in the Oscar running. Yeah. And I got to say, um, from initially hearing about this movie, leading up to it coming out, it was one of the movies where you said, it's got to be good, right? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, going to the theater, seeing how it respectfully treated um, pro wrestling, um, it didn't look down on the fans or the, the performers. Um, I thought it was well acted, well directed, well written. Um, it really is a, a, a it, you know, for such a, a sad movie, um, I think the ending of it is ultimately uplifting. And, and I think, um, it, it's really a movie that has great re, uh, replay value. So, uh, no, I did not tap. I will, uh, I'll, I'll get to the end first. I don't tap out to this. Uh, when I saw this for the first time, this was one of the greatest movies I had ever seen. I was overwhelmed by how much I liked this. I kept telling people, I've been to these arenas. I've seen this happen. I've seen guys, you know, in, you know, the Philadelphia spectrum with 30,000 people screaming their name and then seen them at the rec center with 20 people paid attendance. You yep. know, and seeing them signing autographs and, and almost bullying you to get an autograph because they're so down on their luck. I've seen these guys fall and it's sad and it's covered so well in this film. I got to say that watching this again, this was probably my first time seeing this movie in two or three years. 
And this movie didn't feel as good as it felt to me in the past. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't feel that it aged as well as it should have. I felt that a lot of what they covered, and this is not any fault of the movie, but this has been covered now by other things. Hell, the Total Divas show gives mm-hmm. us a lot of the same behind-the-scenes look at professional wrestling. Right, right. And so this doesn't feel as as groundbreaking and amazing as it felt to me seeing it in 2008. It's mm-hmm. still a great movie. It's still a, a character I want to cheer for. It still feels like, you know, a real slice of life of, of professional wrestling. But it also feels like a movie that has... Uh, that that worked better in 2008 maybe than today. And so mm-hmm. I don't tap out, but uh it's uh and it's still probably a movie if I was going to go, you know, out of a scale of 5 stars, I might go three and a half, four stars, which is very good, but I would have gone a solid 5 in 2008 or 2009. So, you know, it's gone down a little bit uh just because of other factors that have affected this film. I got you. So that brings us to a close on this one. Craig Cohen, thank you so much for joining me on this version of The Wrestler. Yes, yes, thank we, you. I look forward to actually talking about the other version. That's uh, right, the 1974 the, the Wrestler. We will have to do that down the road. Mm-hmm. And until then, thank you all for listening. Go to the Facebook group, sign up, join, click the button, and, and chat with us about movies and, and wrestling and everything else. And we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. Do you want to say Camel Clutch Cinema ever? Hit me with one. Camel Clutch Cinema. You got to get really deep. Camel Clutch Cinema. Or you could do it like like maybe Hogan uh, from No Holds Barred. Camel Clutch Cinema. How about the Ultimate Warrior? Camel Clutch Cinema. Uh, too much.